I'm good, Brother Brady. How's everything with you? Everything is good. The Celtics have the best record in the NBA, number one seed as of right now in the Eastern Conference. And look, they made it interesting the other night against Indiana um, after coming back from making it interesting the night prior against New Orleans. I was talking about this with producer Danny yesterday. It really bothers me that in the NBA, a double-digit lead means nothing. And because I am, I am somebody that thinks if you have a double digit lead, you should be able to hold it, even if it's the NBA, but you know, Celtics down 11 at the half against new Orleans the other day means nothing up big against Indiana. The other day means nothing. I just, it bothers me, Freddie. Well, it can bother you, but I think it underscores exactly how talented those guys are in the NBA because you may be able to keep somebody down, but when you have that talent level and that offensive skill level and the rules being in place of the offenses, leads can disappear really, really quickly. I don't care if you're the Golden State Warriors. I don't care if you're the Sacramento Kings. I don't care if you're the Brooklyn Nets. And I think it goes to the NBA understands offensive basketball. And with the rules in place to make sure the offensive basketball is not going to be restricted, it can bother you. But you got to understand the skill set of those players. You can't leave them open. You can't allow them to get downhill and get those mismatches that teams can take advantage of. And that's why we see leads disappearing no matter who you are. Freddie, I was thinking about this, and I've been thinking about this for a while, and it might sound a little nutty, but I need your opinion on it. I understand why this stuff won't happen because of the logistics and just how much it would cost to change everything all around the country at all levels. But I almost wonder if we as humans have outgrown and have gotten too athletic for the fields and court sizes that we play on. Like, I just look at basketball now and I'm thinking, these dudes are playing on the same size court that 15-year-olds play on. And I just wonder, should the court be longer? Should the three-point line be four feet back? Like Something has to be done, I would think, to curb offense in a lot of these sports. And I'm like, not every pitcher needs to throw 102 miles an hour. Maybe move the mound back three feet and make everything 97. I just wonder if we've gotten too big for our fields of play. See, I disagree with that because even if you move Let's say you move the line back in the NBA or in any level of basketball or you extend the football field. You don't think the athletic bodies won't adjust to that because we've seen that time and time again. When they lowered the pitching mound back in the 60s in Major League Baseball, they were able to adjust. And the batters wound up adjusting even though the ERAs were lower and lower and the batting averages got lower and lower as well. It got to a certain point that they adjust and they said, okay, let's raise the pitching mound to make it more of a level playing field. I don't think you need to change anything because even though evolution is going to continue to expand. Now, your point might be valid to me if all of a sudden we got eight foot one point guards out there looking like Big Bird <laughs> from Sesame Street, then that's a whole different conversation. But as long as everybody's between those heights, and I know you're going to have those outliers like the Victor, Victor Wimbiyama, what he's been able to do at the San Antonio Spurs, even though that team is complete garbage around him, but do you believe they're going to fix that? Or in the National Football League, where outside linebackers and tight ends get bigger and better and faster each and every year. I'm not an advocate for changing that because that evolution has happened, but not to the point where guys and ladies are too big for the courts and the fields that they're playing on right now. Four players score over 60 last week in the NBA. A couple guys over 70. Um, A lot of people talking about this nationally right now, Freddie. Do you Mm -hmm. like all the scoring in the NBA, or would you prefer some guardrails be put in place? I wouldn't mind seeing a guardrail put in place that I'm not saying to go to clutching and grabbing when it comes to defense, but I honestly believe that it should not be skewed that much that you can't guard somebody really tough in the NBA. And I think the inconsistency 
with the officials calling the game like that because plenty of times they'll let an offensive player have their way. And then we have a situation down the stretch in the Golden State Warriors and Los Angeles Lakers on Saturday where Steph Curry clearly got fouled going to the basket and no call happened in favor of Golden State. I think they play a lot of that mix and match where, okay, let's let the offenses have their way. But in the final three to four minutes of an NBA game and sometimes even the final two minutes of a quarter, all of a sudden they call things a little looser where or the defense things are called a little tighter to help out the defense. I think that kind of guardrail should be put in place, that there should be some kind of physicality and some kind of contact as long as you're not causing a disadvantage against the defensive player or the offensive player. It can't be, okay, we're going to let the players decide the game. They've been doing that the first 46 minutes. You should not put that in their hands. I think you have to put that in their hands in the final two minutes. Freddie Coleman, Freddie and Harry, ESPN Radio, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Freddie, let's move to the Patriots. The Patriots still don't have an offensive coordinator hired yet. And I don't know if this is, hey, a great thing because we're taking our due diligence and we're interviewing every candidate and turning over every rock and stone, or is this a bad thing because, one, why don't you know what direction you want to go in? B, why isn't your job appealing enough for somebody to want to take? How do you view this taking so much time? I view Gerard Mayo is not going to make any kind of decision until he sees exactly how the landscape is going to shift out when it comes to somebody or somebodies that he wants in terms of his coaching staff, especially at the coordinator position. He doesn't have to worry about playing the NFL game next week. we got miles and miles to go before the NFL season gets started, and then you can put your installs in and make sure you got the right players. I think a lot of what he has been taking his time when it comes to being an offensive coordinator, naming an offensive coordinator, is he wants to find exactly who his quarterback's going to be and who they're going to go after, whether it's in the NFL draft or they decide to pluck somebody in free agency or make a trade maybe for Justin Fields. Whoever he decides is going to be his quarterback, you got to make sure you have the right kind of quarterback, coach, and offense coordinator. This way, both of those two are going to be on the same page. If you can't try to also take one guy from someplace, you already drafted somebody, and his philosophy doesn't match the guy that you drafted, even if you're the head coach. So I clearly understand why Gerard Mayo, even though in the last day of January, has not made his choice yet because there's still plenty of time before he can do that and especially the draft still being a little bit of a way and installs being a little bit of a way after that you can take your time just a little bit making sure you got the right guy for the quarterback you believe you're going to go after to get this thing going in the right direction for the Patriots I've been on team draft a quarterback at the number three pick in the draft from the start Mm -hmm. I am curious though what do you think Justin Fields would cost in a trade I would think a second and third rounder. I would not give up a first rounder for Justin Fields because even though I don't mind what I've seen, but I still think there's a lot of growth that has to be there no matter what kind of competitor that we've seen from a Chicago Bears quarterback or soon to be ex-Chicago Bears quarterback in Justin Fields. But if somebody says, I want a first round or two first rounders, you hang up the phone. I like Justin Fields. I don't like him, like him that much, the part with two first rounders. If you can get like a second and a third rounder, a third and a fourth rounder, you make that trade. Anything above that, like a first and second rounder, I would not do that if I'm the New England Pages or anybody else. Are you surprised Bill Belichick is going to get left out of this hiring cycle? Not surprised, stunned, to be completely honest with you, because I remember the conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago that if you're the Atlanta Falcons, you're not talking to a guy like that twice and saying, now nah, we're good, but that's exactly what they did. And I wonder, I don't wonder, I know that the age of Bill Belichick is going to be held against them because if you're a building team, 
there's no guarantee that he's going to be there to see it through when he's going to be 72 years of age before this spring season starts here on planet Earth. So if you're the Atlanta Falcons and you believe you're coaching quarterback away, but you don't have that quarterback, you may not want to put that in the hands of a Bill Belichick where the old school way may not work for your future. Look at Mike McDonald being hired by the Seattle Seahawks today. He got a six-year contract. He's not 40 years of age. I think NFL teams have told Bill Belichick, the situation that's going to be best for you is a ready-made situation where you got a quarterback, you got an offense, you got a defense, you got a winning team, but they need somebody like you to get them over that hump. When it comes to the Atlanta Falcons or the Carolina Panthers or teams like that, they were looking for somebody to build and have that future and not have somebody whose future is already passed when it comes to Bill Belichick and coaching in the NFL. Freddie, because it's not the Patriots, my work favorite team, or the Seahawks, my personal favorite team, I haven't really come down hard one way or the other on the Dan Campbell stuff, right? Because it didn't Mm -hmm. affect me, I haven't gotten worked up about it one way or the Mm -hmm. other. What did you make of the Dan Campbell decisions the other night? Well, that's who he's been, and I understand that. But sometimes you got to save your team and yourself from yourself. And here's why I say that. It's always good to put points on the board. And if you don't have that kind of confidence in your field goal kicker, then you're really playing left-handed. And it got to a point when he made those kind of decisions. And let's be fair. If McReynolds catches the football, we're not having that conversation on fourth and two. If Nick Bosa does not get home almost to Jared Goff and get him off his spot, he had a guy wide open. I think he makes that completion. So we look at results and say he should not have made that decision. Because, Brady, we know this. If those results had turned out favorably for the Detroit Lions, we know the narrative would have sounded like on Monday. That's Danny Campbell. That's being aggressive. That's why those things work. People use results in terms of why those things should not have happened or why he should not have made those decisions. He's done all year long. Before that game on Sunday, in fourth and three situations, they were 20 out of 25. If you're telling me somebody's going to do that 25 times and their percentage of success is 80%, then, yeah, he decided to do his best for his team. But you got to know the room, you got to know your team, and you got to know the temperature. He had to look at his team's body language, in my opinion, and say, man, I can't afford to do this and get more momentum back to San Francisco. Let's take the points and have them continue to chase us and add three points on top of that. That's the only problem I had with that decision. Not the fact that he made it, but the fact that he needed to do it in a better time and space in that football game in San Francisco. Freddie, I'm, I don't mean to sound entitled because I feel very, very fortunate and honored to have had the memories and opportunities to cover four Super Bowls and go to four Super Bowl media weeks. I am thrilled to death I am not going to this Super Bowl media week. This will be the what? most unbearable Super Bowl media night in the history of the planet. Because Why? I- because of the Taylor Swift angle. I have no problem with Taylor Swift, and I think everybody who gets worked up about her is far too much. But what I can't take is a million people at media night asking everybody their favorite Taylor Swift song and stuff. I was annoyed before. One time, Dante, I was trying to talk to Dante Fowler of the Rams before they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and I had to wait like 20 minutes behind the grown man dressed as a baby trying to get him to eat Mexican (laughs) chocolate-covered grasshoppers. That was enough for me. I I don't need to be a part of what's coming next week. You know, Brady, I'm going to co-sign with you on that one because I'm with you. Taylor Swift and her presence at a football game or football games with Travis Kelsey being her boo has never bothered me. And I don't know why people are getting so exercised and worked up. And some people tried to make it political, which really makes no sense to me. It's just a young lady who's going to a football game where her boyfriend is playing and he's playing for a team that has made, that has made the conference championship game the last six years. If that bothers you, that's a you problem. That's not a Taylor Swift problem. But all the excess and all the extra after that, man, I'm totally, totally with you because it's not so much about her. 
it's the reaction from everybody. It's a lot of that in the media. And when you get that coming together on media day, that's going to be a perfect storm to drive me away from that and drive you away from that. So believe me, you are not alone on that line as far as that goes, Brady. I am 100% with you. The best Super Bowl media night story that I have is actually one, Freddie, I was actually a fan, right? I was a fan uh-huh. the year before I got into business, Seahawks Broncos, um, when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, it was in New York or at Barclays Center or something like that. But you got right. little headphones that you got to listen to the Super Bowl media day coverage. And uh-huh. somebody asked former Seahawks fullback and of the NFL Network, Mike Robinson, they said, hey, we're, you know, New York, New Jersey Super Bowl. Who are your favorite housewives, New York or New Jersey? And he goes, I like my wife the best. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and that was the best answer to a Super Bowl media night <laughs> stupid question I'd ever heard. Because that's one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard as well. Why are you going to ask somebody who does not live in New York or New Jersey? If you had intel that he watched either one of those shows, that's one thing. But to just throw that question out there, uh, thinking that's going to be a gotcha question, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. That was SOS stuck on stupid as far as that goes. That was great. Freddie, you're the best. We'll catch up next week as always and uh, look forward to it already. Thank you. I always appreciate you, Brady. You take care. Be well, my brother.